It's only three weeks since Christmas, so I thought I'd preach something that would be a, a lingering remembrance of that wonderful day for us. Something that would help us to evoke and to think about the wonderful things associated with Christmas Day. You know, aromas played a really important part in biblical life. Right from the tabernacle in the days of Exodus, all the way through to the book of Revelation. Right from when the Magi came in the New Testament and presented their spices and oils to Jesus. Right the way through his life, through to his death and resurrection. Scents are hugely evocative. They seem to have a direct connection with our memories and with our emotions. I mean, just think for a moment. Think of a smell from your childhood. And you're immediately there, right? You, you, you're taken through time and you can even feel some of the emotions. For me, the smell of pine needles, a pine forest, is enormously, enormously evocative for me. Or the smell of rain, fresh rain, on dry earth. Can you remember and sense some of those things just through the remembrance even of the smell associated with it? Well, in the Old Testament times, God instructed Moses to create a tabernacle and he gave him a divine plan of how it should be built, what was going to be in it, every piece of furniture. And the plan extended right through to the actual formula for anointing oil and incense. The things that would be burnt and sprinkled to remember him by and to evoke a sense of his presence. The sacred incense comprised of five ingredients. I'll read them to you. Gum resin, onica, galbanum, pure frankincense, that's the important one, and salt to preserve it. And, and twice a day, the priest would come into the tabernacle, well, into the temple later, at first, of course, it was Moses acting as the priest. He would come in and he would take this incense. And God had instructed him to build a particular small golden incense altar. So you can imagine him taking handfuls of this incense and throwing it onto the hot coals of the incense altar twice a day. And the fragrant smoke would rise up. And that smoke would evoke a remembrance of the presence of God. Bring to mind his glory, his presence, his being his instruction, his very presence there among them. You'll find the smoke symbolizing prayer and worship later, going all the way through until you find it for a last time in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. Then there was the holy anointing oil. And this was also a blend of five ingredients. Again, let me read them to you. Liquid myrrh, and that's the important one. Remember that, liquid myrrh, cinnamon, cane, cassia and olive oil. It was used to anoint the various articles within the tabernacle, but most specifically it was used to set aside and to anoint priests, prophets and kings for their sacred and holy duties. Now I've tried to find out what that sacred anointing oil must have smelt like. It was a hang of a task. I didn't do to it, it, but the closest I could get was it probably smelled something like cinnamon-scented pine needles, if you can imagine that. Sweet cinnamon-scented, fresh, crisp pine needles. Now, of course, 
the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate anointed prophet and priest and king. And when Jesus was about 15 months old, a group of wise men, Magi, astronomer priests from Mesopotamia, came from the east, found where Jesus was, bowed down before him and presented to him gifts. And the timing of their arrival was divinely appointed as they followed the star, you know, the star of Bethlehem, as it's called. And the selection of the gifts was hugely significant. The story is in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Let me again read it. Matthew 2, verses 9 to 11. The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and myrrh. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Gold symbolizing the tabernacle, the gold-encrusted furniture of the tabernacle. Frankincense, symbolizing the sacred incense. Myrrh, symbolizing the holy anointing oil. When they proclaimed this, when they presented this, when they said, Here, Lord, we bow our knee before you, and they presented him as a child with these things. They were proclaiming him as prophet and priest and king. And I have no doubt that his mother Mary must have kept those articles, kept the fragrant incense and that aromatic oil. And possibly as a boy, Jesus would have seen it many times, many times maybe his mother opened up the bottles and said, smell this, my son. Remember who you are. You are the prophet, the priest, the king. From the research that I've done over many years, it appears that Jesus was born in September of the year 3 BC, and that the Magi arrived in Bethlehem in December of 2 BC, on the 25th of December, to be precise, what we call Christmas Day. So the lingering fragrance in the life of Jesus started on Christmas Day and extended through to his death, burial, and resurrection. When he was a man, some 33 years after his birth, he was anointed again just before he went to Jerusalem for the last time to die on the cross of Calvary. The aroma came at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life on earth. The Alpha and the Omega. Now, different scholars have various views about how many anointings there were, who did it, you know, was there more than one Mary, where did it take place, and so on. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that there was just one Mary. Mary, the previously notorious sister of Lazarus and Martha, one of Jesus' closest friends. And there was just one anointing that took place in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, just days before Jesus went to the cross. Mary came, knelt at his feet, broke an alabaster jar of the most expensive nard perfume, anointed his head, anointed his feet, wept her tears to wash, dried his feet with her hair, and the house must have been filled 
redundant with the fragrance of that perfume. And Judas Iscariot was there, one of the disciples, and he complained bitterly that there was such a waste of money, this could have been given to feed the poor, etc., etc. And Jesus responded with this, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Of course, his prediction was absolutely accurate. For just days later, he died on the cross. And after hours of hanging on that cross in the hot sun, Jesus got very thirsty and he cried out, I thirst. And a Roman soldier was sitting there and got up and, and, and took a sponge and dipped it into some cheap wine vinegar. And then he added, you've guessed it, he added to it myrrh. And he put it on the end of a stalk and he held it up before Jesus, just in front of his mouth under his nose. You know that, we know that Jesus refused to suck on that sponge, to drink that. But it was right there under his nose and he must surely have smelt the sharp, pine needly scent of myrrh, the lingering aroma of that first Christmas, of his constant reminders maybe from his mother as to who he is, who he was, as he grew up to this day of his destiny. King of Kings, Lord of Lords, ultimate prophet, ultimate high priest. Is it any wonder then that Paul later penned these inspired words in Ephesians 5 verse 2? Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. After he died, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea came and took the body and took and laid it in a temporary tomb, the tomb of a rich man. The idea was that after the Sabbath of Passover, they would come and properly prepare the body for burial and then take it to the final resting place. They took with them a vast quantity of, yep, myrrh and aloe powders. And they packed this around the corpse and then they wrapped it tightly with the burial clothes. Again, the tomb must have been filled with the fragrance of the presence of God. Just as the tabernacle in years and years before must have been filled with the fragrance of the presence of God. Just days later, a group of women, of which Mary, the one who anointed him, was one of them, came to attend properly to the body, to prepare it properly for burial. When they got to the tomb, we all know the story, the tomb was open and the body of Jesus was not there, but the burial clothes were, must have been encrusted, saturated through with myrrh. The empty tomb must have been full of the fragrance of the presence of God, the, the lingering aroma of Christmas. You see, the tabernacle was the place of the presence of God, as was Jesus' body, the presence of God on earth, as was the empty tomb, and as was the church, his body on earth here, now, today, of which you and I are part. Paul wrote the following, speaking first about him, his own self, but then also speaking of the church the disciples of Jesus. He wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. 
Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal profession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. Tabel represented the presence of God. The body of Jesus was the temple of God on earth. And so too is the church, the place of his presence now in our day and age. We Christians carry the aroma of Jesus, the aroma of Christ, an evocative reminder of his birth, resurrection, continuing life, and of the fragrance of the knowledge of Him, as Paul put it. We Christians today carry the lingering aroma of Christmas out into the world, wherever we go. God bless you.